I wash my hands to protect my family. I wear a face covering to protect my mates. I make space to protect my colleagues. Hands. Face. Space. I wash my hands to protect strangers. I wear a face covering to protect other passengers. I make space to protect you. Hands. Face. Space. As we spend more time indoors, we need to do whatever we can to help protect each other from coronavirus. So please, wash hands, cover face, make space. Hello and welcome to the Political Natter episode on the state of September in light of the coronavirus pandemic. We've got protests, proms and predicted grades to talk about. But first, let me introduce the one, the only, Jack Carson. Hello, how are we? I'm very well, Jack, as you know. I'm very excited to be here recording this podcast with you. Thank you very much. I'm as excited, I think. I don't think anybody else could be as excited as I am. We are very excited. Um, We've got several topics all lined up together that we want to just talk about. Quick fire, quick questions. Let's get straight into it. Number one, hitting it hard, protests. Protests. Now, this is not just... Obviously, we've got had lots of protests seem to come up in we've the last few We've got protests months. coming, coming out, out of our ass. <laughs> <laughs> we've had Black Lives Matter, we've had Extinction Rebellion, anti, anti-lockdown, anti-vaxxers, People anti-Covid. really fancy anti Pigeons, out. all sorts. Anti-pigeons. Oh, I don't think about the last one. I've not heard that one. Maybe, maybe let's leave the ones you've attended alone <laughs> and uh, talk about protesters as, as a general rule. Yeah. In light of the kind of coronavirus context, what do we think about coron- the, the, the protests? Uh, it's it, it was a bit annoying for people sitting at home, and I'm not you know I'm not going to attack the causes. I'm not sitting here attacking any of the causes or reasons why people might protest. I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about the context of a protest in the middle of a pandemic. And actually, really, it was a bit, it felt a bit like a kick in the teeth. Don't get me wrong, I, you know, I'm all for protest. It's a great, it's, you know, it's a natural form of democracy. You need to, you know, to be able to protest. But it was a bit of a kick in the teeth for when people have been in lockdown for three, four months, not been able to see family members, you know, having to shield, to then suddenly see thousands, and I mean thousands, gathering on the streets close together, very few wearing masks, causing trouble, some not even protesting, that simply there to cause trouble, but mass gatherings, and the police not enforcing the law which was there to stop this. And, you know, I think actually we're very lucky because that something didn't, that the resurgence didn't happen because there could have easily been a massive wave of COVID because, you know, people at the protests weren't just from London. They were coming from all over the country. So you tell me in the middle of a pandemic, it's a good idea to go into the middle of London for people with all from over the country. Somebody, only one person there had to have, had to have COVID for it to spread. And then you go and, and spread it all across the country. Now, we're lucky that that didn't happen. We're lucky that it didn't spread. But it's irresponsible, in my view. Apart from the reasons for which they had, I think it depends on several things, and some of them you mentioned. One was the chronology, when it happened during the uh, the kind of height of the uh, of the pandemic, or whether it's happened more recently now in the UK, where we have very few deaths going on at the minute. 
that's an important one. Also, whether they've maintained social distancing as best they can and are wearing masks, etc., that reduces the kind of wrongdoing in a way because it's trying to reduce the spread of the... It's trying to keep the spread of the virus um, at a minimum. And lastly, it... De- I can't remember what it depends on. Another Biden moment! Oh, <laughs> we need a mashup of these. And lastly, it depends on whether they've done anything particularly badly illegal i.e. whether there's lots of graffiti going on whether there's been brawls going on whether there's looting things like that whether you've been attacking police i mean this is not just in the uk this is in america as well whether you've been uh, you know attacking police officers it it all depends i think a peaceful protest now i think a peaceful protest with social distancing and you know you're not causing too much problems you're not stopping emergency ambulances trying to get past i think i understand i understand why people now want to get out and protest but all of those factors together if they were all maxed out onto the onto the worst you know the worst index then then maybe they weren't such a good idea with the black lives matter protest for example harry would say if he was here um he'd say and and i agree with him he'd say they couldn't help when that flared up that's a fair argument but it flared up at a time where a lot of people had a certain position of not wanting to go out. And then when they look at these protests, it does the protest and the cause no good. Mm. Maybe it actually, with the Black Lives Matter, it actually made people less sympathetic with the cause uh, because of because of the behaviour of no, the I whole could, I could agree protest. With that. You know, so some people might think that. And I think it's a difficult one, but that's all I've got to say. I do think that... I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, yes! <laughs> Not just me! Biden moment part two. I do agree with your point that it under, it, people were less sympathetic. I mean, a bit in two places, because we have at this moment, as we sit here and talk in September, people seem to be scared to go out. And they don't want to go back to work, because they, their office isn't safe. Some people are mixed about kids going back to school because they think schools aren't safe. And yet, in the height of a pandemic, people were happy to go and protest. And you'll find that there is there's a similarity between between people that were go happily protesting in April, in June, you know, in the middle of a pandemic. But now, when the pandemic is is de- is it, coronavirus has essentially been decimated, you know, we've, we're down to very low death rate. We might still be getting positive cases, but in terms of people in the actually, UK, in terms of in the UK, but in terms of people actually getting ill from the virus, it's very very low, very low. And yet, when coronavirus is now um, almost non-existent in in the country, people don't want to go back to work and don't want to go outside the houses. Yet, yet when people were simply asked to stay inside as much as you can in the middle of a pandemic, they were going out and protesting and gathering it. And that, it's like, okay, you know, now I can, you know, certain protests I might not agree with because I don't like what they're protesting about. But I'm not so angry about people protesting now because you know of how how the how the yeah, threat the of the virus of it, is lower. As I, said. I think. I would probably be inclined to disagree with you because I think a lot of the young people who are out protesting, well, a lot of the people who are protesting are young generally as a general rule. And also I think a lot of the young now are the ones who are not scared to go out and break social distancing because of their own less, they're less likely to be ill. Um, But you do raise an interesting point about the government response with furlough and there are still people who are not going back to work. Schools are going back. I personally think we need to crack on with schools going back. I'm glad that we're doing that. I think, you know, 
um, because because of the situation with coronavirus now, how the, the spread is reasonably low, and it seems that maybe the the strength of coronavirus strains have have waned a little bit in exchange for how well they it, it transmits potentially in the epidemiological studies. Um, it's right that we all get back to work and the furlough reduces. I think on the topic of how the government actually dealt with the pandemic, I think that we were generous with furlough. I think in principle it was good, but now we really need to start cracking on getting back to work. I think actually it should have been reduced earlier because, you know, 80% of the start, fair enough. But there's a, when you have a lockdown, but people are still getting 80% of their wage, they've got nowhere to go and spend money. So they'll spend it on shopping, maybe some Amazon orders online, but they've got no, nowhere else to spend money. So you found a lot of people actually keeping money, saving money, which wasn't really theirs. It's the government's, it's taxpayers' money. And now they'll positive. say, oh, I'm a taxpayer, so technically I'm just getting some of my, my, my money back. But then a few months in, they could have gone, right, okay. You know, maybe start of August, they probably should have gone, okay, well, we're going to reduce it. Down, How did America we... deal with it? They have an employment, some kind of employment allowance. It was a little bit like... Didn't they do a blanket like... Uh, I think it was a little bit blanket like $500... For everyone. For this or $1,000 something. Which is what actually my dad my dad says. He said they should have just said, right, everybody gets £2,000 a month, 1500 quid a month. Regardless of whether regardless, you've normally got a really regardless, high salary regardless or really low of, one. Regardless of how much you've got. Because people like him, who are self-employed... Now, I don't get me wrong, he was helped massively by the, by the bounce back loan. That saved him, really. He was able to get business going, bounce back like the whole thing but he had then had to go on to because he he didn't qualify himself for any of the self-employed schemes he had to do the option of going through um universal credit which is which you know helped him got us through it but if there was a if there was simply a right everybody's going to get 1500 quid a month everybody's going to get 2000 pounds a month you've got your mortgage holidays you've got your rent holidays or whatever everybody gets 2000 pounds a month regardless of how much you usually earn Everybody get £2,000 a month. Not only would I think you actually end up saving more money as a government, but everybody would be in the same boat. Everybody, there, would be, there would be no holes to fall through because but everybody's getting a base, base of, amount of money. Of course you have higher expenditure, though, if you come on a higher salary because you adjust your life to having a higher salary and therefore you never expected a coronavirus pandemic to come out. No, um, so I, I do mostly agree with you. I think we've been a little bit too nice, maybe. Yeah. But we did... Regardless of whether we've been too nice, it's good that we've been nice. We just need to crack on back to work now and, and, and not drag our heels too much. When you're out of work for a long time, work is an important psychological thing. If you mm. go out and contribute, you feel like you're part of society, you're invested in society. Which is why I have a problem with working from home. Because I think if you work from home, you've got no social interaction in the office, no talking, Yo, you can have a Zoom call with a person. Yeah, but that's not actually, there's so much that goes up. There's so. It's not the backroom chat. It's no. not really getting to know somebody on a no. personal level. Think how many, just think how many business deals, how many deals, how many products have been bought based off small route, small backroom chat. Or, Who you know. Or, you know, or going to, Trust. A, going to a cafe, seeing somebody, going, oh, I know you, you're from that place. And just meeting people, interacting with people. If you're not in the city, if you're not... In the town where you work, if you're not in an office going off, you don't you don't have that chance to meet people by off chance, which might give you a job or help you career or help your company. You don't have that chance to meet off to meet people, which is why I don't I don't want coronavirus to be the start of this enclosed society where we don't want to go outside, we don't want to go and do things because that will be the end. It will it will ruin us. I think it's so important as humans that we have 
good contact and and you know the, the tactile nature of human existence we need to we need to begin to see each other again and the detrimental impact it's had on even some of my friends now you know struggling to get out of lockdown the amount of people that have been lost to to this pandemic you know because of mental health because of mental health there is and and leave alone the amount of young people or you know middling middle-aged people that are dying from cancers or other kind of uh diseases that aren't being treated we need to weigh that against the very small number of diseases uh, cases that are happening with coronavirus deaths that are happening with coronavirus and as a result all of those together, I think we really need to start getting back out there. And I was going to say, it's a maybe it's a positive that people have a lot of money now to spend. That could be an opportunity to bounce back. Well, with the look economy. at Eat Out to Help Out. That was massively successful and has got restaurants going again. Some restaurants, I know Weatherspoons are choosing to personally, privately do their own kind of version of it and fund that themselves to try and keep people in their in their pubs. I had eight Weatherspoons. <laughs> it was so successful, and you know. I know many Weatherspoons in your company, Thomas. Um, and it was it was nice to be out there. And it, it, it was so nice to see things busy again, to have that atmosphere in a place again. I think our society, it even just normally, society. is a little bit distanced. Yeah. You know, and, and this has really hit home. And, mm. and I think we need to get out there and, 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 and be careful. We're not over, over spreading well now, the disease. You know, now that masks are mandatory, some people might agree that they should be mandatory. When maths are mandatory, you can go closer to people. You know, the rule is one metre plus an extra precaution, like a face mask. So you can have that closer social interaction. And I just think it's nice that people can meet again. I just hope that the great British public, is what they are, will continue to say, right, we've got we've got the appetite for going out again now. Let's do it. And I think now that kids are back to school, parents don't have to take care of their, ch- their children. There's not that bearing of a child of a child on them because they're they're away for eight hours of the day so they can go to work and and they can then get back in the office um so hopefully we are because i don't like the new normal it's like talk of new normal i don't like the new normal i want old normal old I, normal was perfectly adequate it was fine i think that we need to adjust to, to this 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 virus but let's not overhype it in comparison to the amount of people that I, normally would be dying anyway are, but people more people are dying of the winter flu currently which is coming in, you know, autumn, autumn, winter flu, which is starting to come in now, than COVID at the minute. Let's not hype up COVID for being more than what it is now. Let's not, let's not keep this hysteria that it's, that it's, you know, the first strain, which was quite harsh. It's not like and, the 500, 600 deaths you know, we were having a day. The fact that more pe- the people are getting infected, but nobody else is, very few people are still are now dying, means that actually this strain is very, very weak. Which shows that the distancing has been working in, yeah. t- in an e- epidemiological sense. Yeah. We have had protests already. We've st- talked about government policy. Let's move on to something different. Hey, Thomas, did you see that YouGov poll where only 30% of British people said they trusted the mainstream media? No, I haven't, but I'm not surprised. It seems that many people think the media's rigged against their side. If only there was a site that encouraged different views and topics to be discussed all in one place. Well, worry no more, because we've created our very own impressive and thought-provoking platform. The Political Natter blog is putting a plethora of people's personal opinions back into the perplexing pool of politics. Go to politicalnatter.wordpress.com. By students. For everyone.
predicted grades. I'm going to start. Go on then. Not happy. Monumental right. f***ed up. I think <laughs> that's the first time we've sworn on this. I think it was a massive error, right? They, they, they failed in the beginning by not taking exams. They should have taken exams. Ofqual said that. They should have taken exams. That would have answered the question. Before you move on, to, I just want to say, how stupid is it that to say you, that you have to stay two metres away from someone, but in the middle of an exam hall where you can easily space tables two metres apart, you can't take an exam? Don't, don't, don't come up. Don't, don't, don't find an excuse for that. Let's not belittle the disruption that the students who were, who, who lost education from March onwards had, online teaching and that, difficult. The year 12s have got to deal with this as they come into year 13 now, because they've lost out on some of their syllabus and they're having less help for it. But what this did was, when they then had to calculate grades, rightly so, as I'm going to speak about in an article that's coming out soon, they tried to balance performance of the school with predicted grades because some schools are not honest with predicted grades. And they overly predict. And, and other schools are. The results came some out... Some schools underpredict. Some schools underpredict. Oh, I was massively underpredicted for my grades and I, I got better. But in, but if I was dealt this card this year, I would have come out with worse grades than actually what I got based on my own performance. So they're not always perfect. No. The results came out and they were the, the highest... A's and A stars for a long while or since 2001 or something like that that was a good move but even with the high results 40% of predicted grades were, were, were higher yeah the, the, 40, these 40, results 40% would 40% of students were downgraded in their results my sister has been on an A in business all year she got an A in the mock exam in January, they downgraded her to a C. She's not got a C in business once. Right, and therefore there needs to be that we need to have a reckoning on predicted grades. And luckily, because of the the U turn, she was she was awarded that A fairly. But then other people who got their calculated grades were were probably roughly right because the school over predicted their predicted grades. Mm. Now who have their predicted grades are absolutely laughing, and it's going to be like so many grades this year. Of, of A-levels is going to be wrong next to the year 12s and our year. Yeah. Right? It's going to be completely wrong and out of kilter and it's inaccurate. The results that were given by the calculated magical algorithm, mm. that was above, 2% above last year's or, or like the average grade or not, way mm. above what the grades normally are. Mm. So now people are given predicted grades. I don't know what the percentage is, but the, but the grades are skyrocketed. And that's but it's annoying is they should have spotted this. It look at look at the farce that happened in Scotland. They should have seen what was happening in Scotland and thought, oh my god, in a couple of weeks we're good, we've got this same algorithm. They probably did. But well, it was mentioned to Gavin Williamson back in a committee um meeting in, in July <clears throat> that this algorithm would cause a downgrading of students' grades. And when you saw Scotland and the farce in Scotland, they should have said, Right, okay, why don't we suspend them? suspend giving the results and actually let's actually check this before they go out maybe what they should have done is they should have ha even though it would have been imperfect they should have come out with the grade that balanced the algorithm and the predicted grade it's nicely said and done but I I do felt actually that I do think the conservatives took too much slack not well they took right rightfully they took slack for this failure oh they gave out too many views and it, that was unfair that's not and right it, and it was a cock up but the trouble is, I think Labour tried to capitalise on people's lack of knowledge on devolution. Because, obviously, everybody knows that Scotland controls our own education system. It, it is Labour-controlled Wales, which was responsible for the grades in Wales. And actually, pupils in Wales were downgraded 
They were downgraded at a higher percentage than students in England, yet the Conservatives still got the blame for that when it was not the Conservatives in, in, in the Welsh Government who had control over what their what their exams did. That's maybe a fair point. So so I do think maybe the Conservatives got um stick which they didn't they didn't write they didn't earn, but we've come out of it at the end of the end, at the end of the day. It's always gonna be an off year. The twenty twenty is gonna be written off essentially and thank God thank God for it as well when it is. <laughs> the last thing I want to say on predicted grades is if the government had dug their heels in and stuck to their decision on this algorithm, they'd have kept the people who were sympathetic with this. A lot of people were sympathetic with the government's mm. response to this. They gave out higher A-level grades than there were before. Yeah. But by you turning, instead of instead of just giving people predicted grades, they would have won over the people who just wanted their predicted grades. If they'd have kept the algorithm, they'd have kept the people that supported the is... algorithm. Now by you turning, they've offended everyone. Well, that's the tr- that is the trouble with this conservative government at the minute. They're not leading by conservatism. They're leading by daily polls. And they're going, oh, we want to do something. Let's get a poll out on the issue. Let's see what the country thinks. The Conservatives need to stop trying to appeal to lefties which are never going to vote for them and start actually appealing to their own voter base because it is quickly being decimated and it's quickly being lost because all it needs is a rival right-wing party to stand at the next election and people go, well, actually, we've had a right-wing party, but actually they've done nothing right-wing of the sort and I'm going to vote for an actual right-wing party that's going to bring in a Conservative policy. It, it was politically unsensible to do the U-turns that they're doing and you compare that to Keir Starmer who's got a different base of support. He is a master of of not saying too much and keeping he, he everyone a, on his he, side. He, he's, he's sitting on the fence so much, I think he's going to get some chafing in between his legs. <laughs> right. like, genuinely, he... And and he comes out and says, still on the most stupid issues. Don't get me wrong, he's, he's been impressive as a leader of the opposition because, well, it's easy to be the leader of opposition because you can criticise and you don't really have to... You don't have to say anything. In fact, very rarely has... Keir Starmer said, come out and said, I would have done this if I was Prime Minister. He's very, he's most commonly come out and said, this is just wrong. I just think it's ironic that Boris Johnson often uses in PMQs, oh, look at the, look at Keir Starmer U-turning all over the place when yeah. this Conservative government have U-turned on everything. And Twelve de- times Dependent so on... So, it Keir Starmer's not perfect and Boris Johnson at the minute is by far not getting much slack from his own supporters. It doesn't matter where you stand politically, you can see that the Conservatives keep U-turning on their own base. And while the government's taking quite a bit of backlash as well, Tom, there's one organisation which doesn't seem to... which seems to be having to write headlines it's about itself at the minute, and that's the BBC. Um, the amount of headlines on BBC News about BBC is is quite funny that a BBC-employed journalist is having to report about how god-awful the BBC has become. And it has become god-awful. It's become influenced by this metropolitan liberal elite in London who are all Remainers. And I'm not just saying that. It is, it is true. It was, it's was. it been said by so many people that work within the BBC, top people that work within the BBC. It said it's been infiltrated by, by Guardian readers and the metropolitan elite who do not represent the country. And, you know, thank God Tony Hall is gone is going as Director General of the BBC because he, he has done nothing but cause a massive downfall in its reputation. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about all aspects of the BBC because the World Service, I think everybody will agree, is a fantastic service. That is the most balanced source of news you'll get anywhere. BBC World Service is fantastic for reporting news. Fantastic. It does such a good work globally. But the trouble with the BBC in this country is the licence fee. That is the main issue. And it's because because it's become 
quite leveling. You can see that. There's been so many incidents in the last week with Emily Lake, Emily Maitlis and Newsnight. Oh, I remember that. That was a massive issue. You've seen it with the BBC proms. We're going to come in, into a little bit. I just want to talk about the licence fee first because thank, I think it's actually what most of the country want. Most of the country would like the licence fee to be decriminalised because how it just doesn't sound right. If you told someone, oh yeah, so you can come and watch TV in this country, um, but you have to pay... Um, you have to pay this one um, broadcaster £157 a year, even if you don't want to watch that state broadcaster. What? So oh. you're telling me I've got to pay £157 to the BBC if I only want to watch ITV? <laughs> it's stupid. I have a different opinion to you. I think ultimately we should pay a licence fee for the BBC. I think. Oh, no, go- I'm not against paying to watch the BBC. I'm just saying if you don't want to consume any BBC content... Why should you well, I th- have to pay for the BBC? Well, actually, I don't necessarily feel like you should necessarily have to pay the licence fee. What I do think is important is that the government has a has a state, effectively state-run or state-influenced news channel. Because then you can... Oh, no, I agree with the BBC as a concept, of course. Because, oh, no, but I think everybody should should be able to have... Well, should have access to that. And because you public information films, theoretically an unbiased news source and and the bbc does put out some really good dramas etc it's just obviously you have jack your conservatism is charging out of the gates here on the on on the license fee um and and the metropolitan elite and the bbc maybe your your prayers have been answered because our new bbc director general has highlighted i think in an independent article saying Actually, we do need um, to diversify op- opinions as well as uh, in terms of, you know, kind of... Uh... Well, it's not... You know, the BBC has recently set up a diversity programme. Now, of course, it's right. You want more diversity within your company. However, that diversity is not going to be diversity in terms of people coming from a working-class background working in the BBC, people coming from low-income families coming in, working in the BBC. It's going to be people of... It's going to be, you know... Um, BAME people, which I'm not saying is wrong at all. Of course it's not wrong. But the BBC is... You walk into the BBC and try and find me 100 people that come from working class backgrounds and you'll struggle. Uh, That's the issue. You can be diverse, but you can't just be diverse in terms of... You can't pick and choose what you're diverse with. That's right. And I think with in terms of diversity of opinion, it was talking about, as I was going to say, it was talking about... Uh, comedy and how they need to diversify comedy because it's it's very predominantly left wing. But then on the other hand, apparently they've struggled to employ right wing comics. But the thing is, Jack, why would you want to be a right wing comic when we live in in the world where you get slandered and f- f- if if you ever step outside of the political correctness, well, well, look at Lawrence Fox. Yeah, he went on Question Time to simply, but said what most people in this country think. And yet he was hounded and slaughtered naturally by the own acti- acting union, which he was a part of, and had to actually publicly apologise for him. Otherwise, you know, I think he was going to sue them or something for coming out and saying comments which simply weren't true about him. And, you know, the only right wing comedian really I can think of off the top of my head is Jeff Norcott. Uh, who was mentioned in the article? I think, and, and he's he's to be fair, he he is a he's a funny comedian. I just think it's a shame uh, that we can't live in a genuinely free society where we we respect that people have different views. I I feel that we we've recently, very recently, brought in a new world order where we we like to cancel people because they hold different views. Maybe we we could, like our own echo chambers. We do like our own echo chambers, and 
we were talking about the uh, the God, well, not the God Save the Queen, the BBC Proms and Royal we Britannia about, and Land of Hope and Glory. We were talking about the BBC Proms and the Royal Britannia, the Royal Britannia and the Land of Hope and Glory. They've U-turned on that. I mean, I, I don't know where I stand on it really, but I mean, what can you not like about this? just wonderful just hearing that just fills you with pride god your editorial skills came out there <laughs> it fills you with pride it fills you with pride to be british it's nothing what there's there's something there's this feeling that that's come up in this country that it's it, it's 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 a scourge to be to be british and be proud of the union flag the union jack and be be proud of be proud of this country it's not a scourge how I don't. I don't know the, the context of the song. There, there's some argument about it. I, I, I wouldn't like to put my oar in when I don't really know what I'm talking about. I mean, but to me, they try, they try to play it off as, oh, we can't get a big enough choir. No, you don't need a big choir to to, to sing it. No, I, I, that, and and they. That's why they ultimately U-turned. But oh God, we love U-turns, don't we? This is the podcast. Of well, U-turns. well, actually, if you actually, when they first put the articles up, it's funny because. When the BBC U-turned on the Land of Hope and Glory, on their website, they'd called it, they reversed their decision. But if it's anything to do with the government, it's a U-turn. Oh, wow, but if it's the BBC, it's just reversed of their decision. I see. On the topic of cancelling people and not accepting different people have different uh, views on things, which I think is important in a free society, those people who have views that are really extreme and not very nice, of course, will face the consequences for that. You know, with free speech comes, you know, consequences. And and, that, and that's a good thing. Um, but what about our Australian trade supervisor, who's also come under some... Tony Abbott. He's come under some, some slack. For what an absolutely fantastic person to bring on the board of um, Brexit trade. Somebody who's an, who's an absolute expert in it. Also, funny enough, an expert in stopping migrant crossings, which I think is actually uh, an, an extra advantage into bringing him in terms of, while he may officially be on the Brexit board of trade, I think as he was meeting with Pretty Patel the other day, saucy Pretty, while while he was meeting with <laughs> while while he was meeting with Pretty Patel the other day in the Home Office, it's clear from the fact they had a map of the channel in the background that he's here to also help on stopping migrant crossings which he did a very, very good job for Australia. It's a difficult one. I, I, I think that we what what at the end of the day, what we don't want to do is we don't want to keep letting people who are shipping migrants across the channel or anywhere get money in their pocket for endangering people and also supporting illegal it? immigration. That's the key what we don't it's, want. It's 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 a little bit ironic that so many people who you know, so many left wing people think, oh we love, we love, we love refugees. We love migrants. Well, no, nobody's saying that. We're saying we want to stop the migrant crossing simply because we want people to come in 
to this country legally through the process and actually not support migrant smugglers, not support criminal gangs. We don't want to support that. But the more you support these crossings of Trusted Channel, the more you are in favour of of people smugglers, people making money out of, of smuggling people across borders, in which case, as we've seen in the last few weeks, people do die. It goes beyond the surface level of identity politics, that kind of sheen that everything is is covered in. I think they're very brave people who come across the channel in dinghies. I mean, that's amazing. Maybe maybe we're doing something right. It's just uh, it goes beyond that surface-level sheen of identity politics. Um, and it's, it's not a nice thing that there are people who are making huge amounts of money from from endangering people, and that needs to be cracked down on. And if that means you have to be hard on, on migration across the channel, as was the case in Australia... Then, then maybe that's a maybe that's a good solution. I don't know. I don't know what the other solutions would be. Build a wall. You, you think you think we should man, build the wall, do you? And one person that is building a wall and very successfully built the wall is that's, that's President Donald Trump. Is he actually successfully building? He the has wall? successfully built. It's, in fact, he's almost at completion. Over five hundred miles of 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 wall. It's the greatest wall, the biggest wall you've ever seen. I've built many walls. It's the best. I've, I don't, don't worry, I'm an expert on walls. Nobody knows walls better than me. Joe Biden. <laughs> he wouldn't build a wall. <laughs> Joe Biden. He's hiding in his basement. He's hiding. He, you've not seen him. He's hiding in his basement. Joe Biden, I call him. I call him Joe Biden because he's hiding from the people. Can... Poor old Biden. Let's talk about the presidential election. We think we're going to do some more on the presidential election when we've got Harry here as well. Hopefully. We might even have a special live stream on the night of the Oh election. my goodness me. Would that not be glorious? I, that's the first I've known about it. <laughs> there we go. Would you? That, that might be something. That's a good idea. Which we could go ahead with. You people either will way. have to wait. Right. But either way, it's going let's to be a tight talk, race. Let's not talk too much on this. Who's going to win, Jack? Trump. Easy. Very, very easily. Because the tide is turning already. Okay. And we've right. not even reached debate stage yet. I thought... Definitely going to be Trump. Then I had doubts in the coronavirus thing about whether people would vote against Trump. But it seems to be now he's found his feet again. And Biden, he's, the, he's, thing is, the thing is with this presidential election, this is what it boils down to. A vote for Trump is a vote for Trump. A vote for Biden is a vote for the Democrats. Because Biden is not going to exist. I think if Biden he's becomes just going president, to be it will be six months before he steps down. and He, he will not see out a full term. Well, and, it's and, so... and, and, I th- and I think the Democrats know that. And he's even called himself in the past a transition candidate. Well, Americans want to see a president live out a full term. Joe Biden's already, what, 78? By the end of his, by the end of his first term, he's going to be 82. That's the oldest president ever. Right. And, and we've just seen... Um, and it's not like like Trump's getting on, but Trump is, is... Well, when Trump took office, he was the oldest president to take office. And, but he's he's still even though you may may doubt how much brain he's got well, all of his da- brain I think, I think he da- on both sides all but, of his brain is there whereas whereas Biden there's some serious decline that there is there is decline there yeah. and a, therefore a vote for the Democrats is not a vote for Biden it's a vote for a democratic policy that's but not even thought up by him. as 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 a sitting president can often do they can turn the election to what they want the election to be because they are the sitting president. So they can turn it, and as Trump has started to do, he's turned it into uh, who's going to be strong on China, who's going to get the economy back, who's going to be strong on law and order. That is what he's framing, that is what him, he himself is framing this election to be. And look at his record, the strongest economy America has ever had, he created. He, he can promote this message of, I've done it once, I'm going to do it again. 
because let's not that the economy wasn't the strongest under Obama. And of course, they started in 2009 after the crash. It was never going to be the strongest, even by the end of the second term. But Trump can say, I've, te- I've made the strongest economy America's ever seen. I can easily do it again. That's proof. That's, that's, that's proof enough for you. And then he's gone law and order. Love, 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 love people. Love the police. And then you go, whoa, well, that's it. Whereas Biden has the approach of this president's not a very nice person. We, we need nicer politics. But Let- I wouldn't exactly say that the Democrat-run cities look like very nice places at the minute. Here we go, Jack. The, the, what I do want to say, though, is that Trump did not get the popular vote in 2016. Hillary won, I think. She got but more You don't more win votes. elections by the popular no, vote, unfortunately. No, but what that does show you is Trump only just squeezed in against Hillary. And there's not going to be any bias against Biden for the same reasons as Hillary, because Hillary was the wife of Clinton mm. and also a woman. But there is going to be bias because Biden has already been vice president. And I think there's one thing which the Democrats haven't learned from the last presidential election... And that is that Americans didn't want somebody that had been in Washington for for their whole career for ages. They didn't want. They wanted. A, that's, the people went for Trump because they wanted a fresh face. Because they're they're at a point where it's like, okay, do we kind of go with what we've got? Not really anything exciting. Do we go with somebody who's never done this before, but it's got so, but it's got this enthusiasm, this, the, and he created such a buzz for him. He created a buzz around himself, and so the American people went. Well, we've never had this before. Let's go. We haven't had this since Ronald Reagan. You know, somebody who wasn't a career politician go into politics, and that's why Clinton failed because they've gone. Well, you're, you've already, you've, you've been a secretary for God knows how long. And if people think you're going to look at this when they get to the poll booth. Go. Well, he's already been vice president. He's already, he's already been there. He's been, he's been in a two-term right. office president. He's not gonna. <clears throat> let's let's face it. The time he was in, he was vice president. Nothing really was exciting. What? How on earth can he tell us that he's going to do it, make our lives better again, if he really, really didn't do much in the eight years he was in some kind of high office? The sexism won't play a part in this one, this election. Maybe the racism will, though, with, with his... his uh, it's, uh, it's Second I'm, in command, his vice president. I know, I think betting companies have put it down to 50-50, essentially, now. Polling shows otherwise, but it did in 2016. I, you can't decide anything until the debates, until you have... Trump and Biden on the same stage answering questions, you know, whether it's a town hall style debate where they have to talk to actual public, whether it's a set debate by news anchors, until they both get on the stage and the American people can see them side by side, this person talking about this issue, this person talking about this issue. Yeah. Nothing and, nothing can ever be decided. And let's be frank, in, in, in honestly objective terms, Trump will eat up. Oh, I, that, and that's why you know Nancy Pelosi came out and said, I, I, I don't think he should do debates because he will be eaten alive. And you can even say with the 2017 general election, by Theresa May not turning up, as there's an argument. Before, as we there's before. an argument that she she took a hit on the polls when because she was going to win. If you can't face the public in a debate, how can you face a, a big world leader on, a, on an important issue? You that's can't. our predictions. Yeah. So that's simple. You think what? I think I I I can't. I'm leaning towards Trump, but to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised either way. But I think he probably. I wouldn't will be surprised. I think it will be. I think it will be bad for the UK if it's Biden, because it will be the same attitude that Obama had, where all oh, you're back in the queue for a trade deal. I think at least with Trump, we are we are front and center certainly now for a trade deal. Now that he's fallen out with China, but I, I it's hard to call. But I think when he gets to the debates, all it will take is for Joe Biden to mumble his words, mumble an answer, forget what he said. Forget an answer, forget a question in the debate, and he'll be over. Because they'll, they'll look at them and go, "If he can't, if he can't remember a question from five minutes ago, how's he going to lead our country through a crisis, through a hurricane?" He's not. 
it, it, American elections, I think, are decided on very small things. You often get one-issue voters in America and people who vote on one simple issue. And I think the competence of Trump versus competence of Biden is going to be an issue for a lot of people. And I think Trump almost edges it in all of it for, for the majority of people. But that's just that's just how I think. But you can't decide it at the minute. It's 50-50. Um, we don't know what's going to happen in the debate. We don't know what's going to happen in the next in the next few months of, of campaigning. Some, one of them could say something so outrageous, so stupid, you know, the race is almost over before it's begun. And with either of them could fall foul to that. <laughs> Very easily. How do we control coronavirus now? Listen to Steph. She's a bus driver. Now that people are using public transport again, we really need to make sure that we keep each other safe. Passengers need to stay two metres apart. If that's not possible, make it at least one metre. I want to see everyone wearing face coverings over their mouth and nose, unless you've got a good reason not to. And when you get to where you're going, you need to wash your hands. We've still got to play our part. Stay alert. Control the virus. Save lives. Let's talk about ourselves. Because that's what we love to do, really. We're gonna we're gonna um, end on ourselves. Let's end on ourselves because we are, of course, university students going into second year, and how we are going to be educated in this second year. I don't know whether you know much about your own well timetable. I don't think even the uni knows. I, I know I've been told by my university that I'll be a week. Uh, I'll I'll have one week where I'm timetabled in university, going into the university, and I'll have the next week. I'll be fully online, nowhere near the university. Let's pull predicted grades into this, because this year now, they were really worried about how many... They were going to have really low numbers because people mm. didn't reach the entry grade. So they clearing, they dropped the grades down. Please come, mm. please come. I thought it was going to finish off the low universities. Then they capitulated, the government capitulated, and gave, in the, gave everybody their predicted grades. And so what that's done, as I will elaborate on the article that I'm trying to write that has meant that they had to honour the grades that they, the people that they gave places in clearing, as well as give reinstate people's offers. So surely this year they've got more people than last year, uh, than they ever have before. At the same time as try- having the same amount of space, but this year wanting to keep people at a further distance and reduce the amount of people in seminars, etc. Mm. All of those things can't go together. And so they must be having some timetabling crisis on this. I know that lectures will be online. I hope seminars will stay in person. I feel a little bit cheated and I will feel really cheated if as a result of this high influx of people that have come in, I then take a hit on this. My contact time, I want to want, want to keep what there is of it, which is always a great deal at university. I think that this coronavirus pandemic shouldn't be used as an excuse to screw over the student. We got screwed over last year at the end of the term. I didn't get my summer, you know, my, my summer term at university. The summer didn't exist at university. We all had to go home in March. Yeah. I was cheated out of my, my um, tuition fee there just for a few online, you know, half-hearted seminars. That was already a kick in the teeth. This year, if I take a hit on it, I'll be, I'll be very mad. And, and there needs to be serious questions asked about this. The government has... Oh, yeah, um, strikes and, yeah, sorry about the whole corona thing. Uh, <laughs> sorry. You know, it, then there's not been anything pr- pragmatically done to solve this. And travel is affected. People are studying abroad. I wanted to study abroad. That's up in the air. There's lots of stuff up in the air. I think 
the government's change on predicted grades has put universities in a position. Those that were going to die are now alive. Those that were alive are now completely overloaded and having a crisis about how they're actually going to deliver education properly. So we don't know what's going to happen yet. We'll know in a month. My university's been my university's been quite pragmatic about it, to be fair. Probably more than a lot of universities are. I've had to do an online course about what happens and what I do when I go back to campus, about wearing mask procedure, sometimes wearing gloves to use certain equipment, maybe, wiping down printers if I use a printer wearing a mask indoors, sanitising hands. Uh, so I've had to read all of that and go through a proper online course that I have to pass. If I hadn't have actually done that online course, I wouldn't be allowed in campus. My card simply wouldn't let me in. That's that's um, amazing. Which is it's quite pragmatic, actually, um, to know that all the students that will be in the university will have had this online course and will have read it, at least, anyway. So my university has been quite pragmatic. Of course, I'm a little bit miff that I'm only going to be in every other week actually physically in the university because you know my course a lot of it depends on using the campus on campus facilities and I'm not going to get the chance to do that as, as as much as I probably would have wanted and that probably means that actually my course and my modules are going to be taught slower you know I'm doing a radio documentary as one of my modules there's only a certain amount of that you can do online and you know I'm I'm interested to see. I we'll have to come back in a few months Tom and maybe come back at Christmas with an episode of how we're getting on and how we've adapted because I'm struggling to comprehend in my own mind because this is so unprecedented. I'm struggling to comprehend how it's all going to work. Look, I one thing I certainly don't agree with is is the the universities, the university unions saying that all teaching should be online until January. Oh, they should. They Th- should. They that can is screw off. Absolutely they ridiculous. Because the lecturers or the seminar leaders can just be behind a perspex glass. That would sort it. Right. Well, I'm sorry. I don't. I don't know whether you've ever had a seminar, Tom. But your my seminar teacher doesn't really stand about half a meter away from you when they're teaching. No, they're usually at the front of. Of a, course, a, of there's a, big a risk, room. but we we've got to be sensible about this there's because. A risk but bear in, in mind, life. I I'm pretty sure it already went through my university when I was there. I'm pretty sure I already had it because the, one of the first case deaths in was in Nottingham. So I'm I'm pretty sure we've we've had one round of it, or a lot of us have. Ding ding. Let's go again. Uh, yeah yeah. And, and and yes, it's important to try and reduce the spread between young people, but we need to be frank about how many young people are actually dying from this, mm. right? The universities have to do as None much as they the can. The universities have to do as much as they can to protect people, and especially protect vulnerable people at the university. That's a good thing. It's good that we're doing that. But we shouldn't be having any kind of COVID police that are trying to lock down healthy people who they themselves, who are autonomous people, are choosing to you know, meet up with other people. You can't have the Gestapo on your mm. case. That's not right either. But also, do you not think actually they're leaving themselves very open to be to being exploited by, I could email my professor on day one of university and say, oh, I've come down with COVID symptoms. Boom, two week quarantine, done. I'll get two weeks off. Yeah, but your pe- the thing is, I don't understand why people are at university and who then don't and want I, to be at university. Well, I, I, under- I understand that, but there's always people that, you know, exploit days off and, and, and exploit the system yeah of course so i'm just saying that when you've got a when you've got a disease which is so wicked it's not actually infecting dangerously normal people i, I would i would say i, I don't know I, I can't claim that that's that's necessarily the case it's just there is some epidemiological evidence that the coronavirus strains are now starting to become less virulent and always in the first place young people weren't being particularly badly affected by it 
I got ill with something, my lung capacity wasn't as good as it was, but I'm fine. Somebody who's really vulnerable would struggle more. But the, the point is, the universities need to put in these protections, but if young, healthy people decide they want to socialise, which they will, we, we shouldn't be too worried about that, next to 30 people a day dying from prostate cancer, 30 people a day dying mm. from breast cancer. Well, let me, let me, we need let... to get things into perspective a little bit. Let's not hang about anymore. Let's get back to work. Let's get back to school with the safe provisions. I'm not saying, oh, no, let's scrap all the masks, let's scrap all the distancing and no, go back to normal. No, that's really important we that, keep. That, that is important to keep this down. As a broad thing. But let's, without an economy, you have no NHS. That is the simple fact. It is tax, it's funded by the taxpayer. Without private companies doing well, growing and being successful, you cannot grow the NHS and you cannot solve the problems within the NHS. So let's get the economy going. Let's get people back to work, kids back to school, students next back to university so that students can do their degrees, go into the world with these skills, with these ideas, with these innovations to create new business, to create the new economy. Because the economy always changes and this has probably been a, a kick up the backside to kick it into new places, new technologies. Well, let's get let's get people back to university. Let's get them graduating. Let's get them back in school. People coming up with new ideas, creating new businesses, because that is the only way we're going to ever recover from this. You can recover from coronavirus with a vaccine. The economy can't recover with a vaccine. We need people in work. We need to crawl back into our normal habits with some adjustments. Crawl? I'm going to use a slingshot. Okay. But we do need to be careful about those that are vulnerable who who if they do catch this disease will be ill hopefully vaccine can come through soon maybe it'll be the answer to all of our prayers but what we need to be real about is we've been long overdue a pandemic and people do die from diseases and i think it's wrong that we by preventing an extra few deaths of covid in theory it's much worse obviously to to not be treating hundreds of people for cancer and it's, it's, it's obviously wrong to not be picking up mm. uh, illnesses of young people who have yet to live all their life. We've got to balance these out. And only when we know the statistics properly can the government make a proper decision on this. I really hope this gets sorted out soon. If we can go back to just back to normal. We don't necessarily need a new normal. The, but, but new, the new normal ad- will be an awful let, normal. Let's say an adjusted normal, maybe. Maybe a, a normal... The, the old normal... With some face masks and nice good bit of hygiene. That's that's what we like. I hope everybody stays safe out there. I hope we're not going to have too many more deaths from COVID. I hope we all get back on track, hey? Well, we may need an adjusted normal. The one thing that will never change is the political natter with the podcasts on Spotify, SoundCloud and iTunes and with the website, politicalnatter.wordpress.com. Be there or be... A silly person. Be there, be there or be a silly person. You silly people. Thank you very much for listening. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Jack. Thank you once again, Thomas. Natter with us next time on The Political Natter. (laughs) 